Neil Batelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 106. If you're wondering what happened to episode 105, I guess technically that would be last week's Easter special. Speaking of the Easter episode, it's funny. There were a number of words that, to be honest, I wasn't quite sure how to pronounce. But since it was in a documentary format, I felt like it would have been unprofessional to break script and say, hey, guys, just to let you know, I'm not sure how to pronounce this one. Uh, so I just crossed my fingers and gave it my best shot. The first word I was unsure about was Mondi as in the first day of the Easter Triduum, known as Maundy Thursday. It's spelled M-A-U-N-D-Y. I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Maundy, but it sounds funny. Sounds like you're saying Monday with an accent. I kept thinking about the scene in The Godfather where Michael Corleone uh, is back in Sicily with his wife or fiance, uh, Apollonia, I think it is, and she's reciting the day's of the week because she's been trying to learn English and she's like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I think shortly after that, unfortunately, she gets blown up, which is a shame because if I remember correctly, she was good looking. Not like that should be the criteria uh, that decides who gets blown up or not. A bunch of models got blown up. That's terrible. Someone dropped a bomb on a leper colony. Eh. (coughs) Just kidding. Anyways, uh, I'm getting off topic. I don't know why I'm in a silly mood. I'll try to get serious again. Um, So anyway, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I don't ever remember hearing the phrase Maundy Thursday. I believe I usually heard it as uh, Holy Thursday, but I was very self-conscious reading it because it sounds like you're trying to say Monday with an accent. I found a couple of different explanations of where the word Maundy comes from, but the uh, consensus seemed to be that it's derived from the Latin word uh, mandatum and refers to the uh, commands or commandments given to the apostles by Jesus at the Last Supper, which makes sense since uh, Holy Thursday is supposed to commemorate the Last Supper. And then it's followed by Good Friday, which commemorates the uh, crucifixion and death. And then, of course, comes uh, Easter Sunday, which celebrates the resurrection. There were also some Hebrew or Aramaic words, not to mention some German, I think, that I may have butchered too. But I did my best. Uh, I recently uploaded a video version of the Easter special to the Weekend Out YouTube channel if you want to check it out. Um, I created the whole thing on my iPad mini, and as I joked online, it probably shows. But I still think I managed to at least incorporate some cool imagery. Um, Maybe it's a little amateurish as far as documentaries go, but still hopefully not too bad either. Uh, It's funny, I opted to monetize the video, and I'm not sure how YouTube chooses which ads to go with, uh, which uploads. Maybe they have an automated system that searches for similar keywords or something. But when you go to watch the video, this kind of super religious fundamentalist commercial pops up with some guy raging about the evils of Christian holidays with their pagan roots, which is funny because my favorite thing about the big holidays like uh, Halloween, Christmas, and Easter is the fact that they have pagan roots. Um, Gotta admit, though, the commercial had pretty good production value, probably better than um, my iPad-created Easter special. But it's funny, I was thinking that between that commercial and the fact that the last episode was a fairly 
respectful history of Easter, people might get the wrong idea and think I host a religious podcast. But then again, the uh, big black cross in the show's logo with the question mark in it might be a hint that I'm not exactly a uh, believer. Uh, That and the fact that I freely admit at the beginning of the Easter documentary um, that I'm a non-believer. So, but anyway, enough about the Easter special. Time to move on to some news stories. But before I do, the obligatory shout-outs. And I warn you, it's a uh, long list this week. First, I'd like to thank John Feibich, or Feibich, F-I-E-B-I-C-H, um, for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. I'd also like to thank Rocky Davenport for liking the uh, Weekend Out Facebook page. Rocky was actually my... Um, Maternal grandfather's name. Actually, the first name of one of my older brothers, too. Well, Rocco, technically. Um, But anyway, I'd also like to thank the following people for um, recently following the show on Twitter. The Mad Humanist, the True Man of God, at VSPADM, okay? Sandy Atheist, um, Devin Siebold, Emmanuel Roy, Ash Frederick Wortham, Wortham, I think. Okay. Um, Cynthia Parton, Work MX, Chris at Atheist Chris, Godless Mom. And underneath it says, Happily Raising Kids as an Atheist. All right. El Chino at El Chino 31, a skeptical, knowledge seeking rationalist. All right. Now I think it's Iman at One Godless Woman. Ah, I see. Okay. An Arab woman who can think for herself has an opinion and escapes Saudi. Wow. If I had a penny for every person who wanted me killed. <laughs> well, you have my respect. That's, uh, wow. That, I, I didn't read um, her kind of tagline or description until uh, just now. But you must be pretty brave and I hope you're doing well. All right. Thanks for liking the show. Let's see. Next, Arthur Schnabel. Vegan since 91, animal lover, modern rocker, indie music lover, atheist, science lover, hockey lover. Let's go Red Wings. All right. Jay Devon, I think it is, at Jay Devon Photog. Atheist Stephanie, atheist heaven, Kalon, at Kalon. Um, Atheist animal advocate. All right. Nothing but neurons. That's pretty cool. Pastafarian, science geek, armchair philosopher, partner in crime. Uh, oh, his partner in crime is at Kalon. Uh, let's see. Popsy Bell. All right. Ellie Salvo. Northiearthandthou.com at um, Brimshack. And underneath it says, I live as far north as you can go in the U.S. I blog because what the hell else am I going to do? It's cold out there. Read my blog, damn it. All right. Uh, let's see. Luke Thomas. And he says, I'm sick, real sick, but I think I'm getting better. All right. And um, one more. And I'm that atheist. Oh, actually, I kind of lied. There is one more. Kevin Stewart. And um, every week he retweets um, my post letting people know that there's a new episode out. And I think he also... Um, post links to the episode on a kind of uh, atheist or free thinkers blog. So I want to give him a special shout out because I think I've been um, repeatedly forgetting to mention him and that's awful. Yeah, it looks like um, his site is atheismdebate.freeforums.net. 
Okay. And uh, like I said, he, he posts episodes of the show there, I believe. So, all right. Thank you, Kevin. Okay, so finally on to the news. Uh, well, this first story doesn't have a lot to do with religion, but I found it really interesting. And in a roundabout way, I guess you could argue that it deals with religion because it brings up the ethical or philosophical question of whether or not science should pursue immortality or the secret of immortality. Um, I found this story on the Huffington Post, and it's about a woman from the Netherlands, I think, or so the story seems to imply, who lived to be 115 years old. I believe she died back in 2005, but scientists just recently got around to uh, running some tests on her blood, and they think they may have gleaned some insight into the link between aging and stem cells. The article says that, in a sense, our expiration date, so to speak, is in part set by our cell's ability to divide. I'll actually read a couple of short paragraphs from the article. As noted in Discover, humans begin life with as many as 20,000 hematopoietic, hematopoietic maybe? Uh, H-E-M-A-T-O-P-O-I-E-T-I-C. That's a long-ass word. Uh, but anyway... Uh, Humans begin life with as many as 20,000, I'll just say, stem cells. And uh, the HEMA at the beginning is, it seems to be a reference um, to how stem cells play a role in uh, the refreshing of blood cells. Uh, it actually looks like I'm right now. Continue reading from the article. These cells, so named because they fuel the body with fresh blood cells, basically renewing themselves every 25 to 50 weeks. The fact that Van Andel Shipper, and that's the name of the um, the woman who had made it to the ripe old age of 115, the fact that she had whittled down her stem cells to just a pair over her long life suggests that mortality is capped, but it also suggests scientists might find ways to remove that cap. Okay, so as the article states, at the end of her life, this 115-year-old woman was down to just one pair of stem cells. And in an earlier portion, it talks about how our cells supposedly, literally, you know, if given the chance, will divide themselves to death. But if we could remove that quote-unquote cap, as the uh, story puts it, and find a way to replenish our stem cells, we could probably significantly extend our lifespan. I really love stories like this. I get really excited reading them, and it makes me hope that maybe, just maybe, I might live long enough to benefit from such research. And being a non-believer, I don't have any religious-based ethical hang-ups about this type of research. I fully support cloning, stem cell research, etc. The only ethical concerns uh, I've ever really had regarding such things uh, say, the, the treatment of research animals. I'm an animal lover, so I'm easily disturbed by stories or images of animals being harmed during scientific uh, testing. It's funny, I used to see this one um, special on the, uh, I think it was on the History Channel or, or Science, and I would have to like look away or turn the channel whenever this uh, one specific part came up. I forget the doctor's name, but there was a doctor back in, I, I don't know when it was exactly, I don't know if it was the 50s, 60s, or when it was, but he did this test, and uh, surprisingly, perhaps horrifically in a way, it was actually somewhat successful. Um, he basically decapitated a monkey, and 
I believe he he took another monkey's head and uh, put it on the body, and they reconnected everything. And uh, I guess for a short while at least, the monkey actually lived and was aware of its surroundings. And in the uh, footage, the black and white footage, you see this poor little monkey, and they're blotting um, the blood away from its nostrils um, with what looks like a cotton ball or something like that. And the thing's looking around, you know, trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And every time I see it, I I just cringe my stomach knots up. Um, I can't stand seeing uh, animals suffer. I'm one of those weird people. That uh, maybe it's not so weird. I think there's probably a lot of people like this. Maybe we we grow so complacent to stories of uh, human violence and man's inhumanity to man that for some reason some of us are more easily disturbed by um, scenes or stories of innocent animals suffering. But I know that's uh, what I'm like, and and it's weird. It kind of. Um, put some of my beliefs at conflict perhaps in a way because on the one hand I have a real bleeding heart when it comes to animals I love animals Uh, but at the same time I'm very excited about science and scientific research and I can't wait to see where science will take us in the future and um but we're probably all aware that in a lot of different areas of scientific research there has been a fair amount of animal testing and um, often a lot of it is seemingly rather barbaric. And of course, in the old days of science, there was there were things like vivisection, literally um, you know, cutting open animals while they're still alive, often dogs and uh, just some uh, really awful stuff. We've probably all heard about things like cosmetic testing where, you know, they're basically applying cosmetics or chemicals to animals like rabbits and seeing the effect it has on their skin and eyes and things like that. Um, so I think that's something that we who are enthusiastic about science and who care deeply about animals you know it's one of those things we have to wrestle with but anyway back to ethical concerns i might have uh regarding science yeah animal testing is one in regards to something like human cloning my only ethical concern is the quality of life of the clone as long as the clones i can't believe i'm talking about clones but uh, <laughs> As long as the clones are treated with the same respect as naturally born humans, what's the harm? Our religious people will talk about how cloning is like playing God, etc. But I'm old enough to remember when as a kid people spoke the same way about in vitro fertilization. And now it's commonplace. People used to use the ominous term test tube babies. And now it's no big deal. It's an accepted form of conception. Well, accepted by most anyway, there's probably still a lot of fundamentalists out there that have a problem with it. Uh, Actually, I managed to find info on that doctor uh, online, Dr. Robert J. White. He was one of the best-known neurosurgeons in the United States, notably for his head transplant experiments on rhesus monkeys. Uh, I'm laughing out of nervous laughter, not because I think uh, there's anything funny about it, as you can probably understand from the way I was talking about my reaction to the uh, video. And while I was searching, I could see thumbnails of the video online. It looks like they might have actually been in color. I don't know why I remembered them in black and white. And this says that the head transplant experiments were done in 1970, I think. Or 1970 was at least when he successfully performed the uh, 
head transplant. You don't say that every day. Um, but he had done preliminary experiments as well. But anyway, I've really gotten off topic. Um, so to reiterate, I was really fascinated by that story of the 115-year-old woman. And then I read the comments section on the Huffington Post, and I was kind of surprised to see how generally negative the reaction was. Instead of people being excited by the possibilities such research could yield, uh, most people seem to be griping about how increasing the average lifespan would be a further drain on already limited resources um, due to overpopulation, etc. And to be fair, I think they may have a point, but nevertheless, at the risk of sounding uh, irresponsible, I'm still willing to err on the side of scientific advancement and curiosity. If people are really worried about living longer, why don't we stop taking vaccines and all of our life-extending medications? We can go back to living 35 or 40 uh, years. Maybe we can stop early cancer detection and going to the dentist, too. Uh, am I being too sarcastic? Uh, it reminds me of a show I saw either on the Science Channel or History or one of those. It featured renowned theoretical physicist Michio Kaku discussing the concept of uh, time and the possibility of human immortality, etc. At one point, he went up to random people on the street and he was carrying a bottle and asking them if there were um, an elixir of youth or immortality or something like that in that bottle, would, would they drink it? And once again, it blew me away how many people were hesitant. I'm like, man, I'd, I'd be chug-a-lugging that stuff. Uh, I think in part maybe it's because I'm a non-believer, so I don't expect to find eternal life in some uh, imagined hereafter. And maybe in part, too, uh, it's because I've long felt as if I'm trying to play catch-up in the game of life. There's so much more I'd like to do, and I've often wondered... You know, wow, what would it be like to live double the normal lifespan or to live 200, 400, 800 years, especially if most of that was lived in youthful good health? Imagine all the extra time for friends, parties, <laughs> or on a more serious note, uh, books and the acquisition of wisdom and knowledge, all the extra time for, you know, whatever adventures and for, um, creative projects for attaining all of your life goals, etc. And for those worried about resources and overcrowding, I imagine we'd adapt. Either people would start having less children or, well, we're letting our imaginations run away with us. Why not terraforming and colonization of other worlds such as Mars? I know it probably sounds outlandish, um, but if our species manages to survive long enough, it, it will probably happen. That reminds me of something in a similar vein. I was recently watching a rerun of Through the Wormhole with Morgan Freeman, and they were talking about this uh, very subject, science and the quest for increased human longevity or even immortality. One possible method for attaining immortality they discussed is one that's never really made a lot of sense to me, and that's finding a way to upload someone's consciousness to a computer. Maybe I'm missing something, but that's always seemed like a poor solution to me. After all, it wouldn't be your consciousness, right? It would be just a copy or a reconstruction of it. It would be its own separate entity, um, no more you than a clone or a twin or a software emulation. It might be good in a way to remember a loved one, but does it really seem like true immortality? 
it kind of reminds me of when people describe the dead as living on in someone's memories. It's a nice sentimental way of putting things, but what does it really mean to live on as a figment inside someone else's head? Uh, but anyway, back down to Earth, kind of, and uh, on to the next story. It's a bit of a downer compared to that last one. It's about yet another faith-healing couple that let their uh, child die due to a lack of medical care. I'll read a couple of paragraphs. Um, this one's from The Raw Story. OR, abbreviation for Oregon, uh, I assume, couple whose daughter died untreated, wants faith-healing beliefs kept from jury. And this is by Travis Geddes. Um, and it's dated Wednesday, April 23rd, 2014. Attorneys for an Oregon couple accused of allowing their daughter to die of untreated diabetes complications don't want jurors to hear about their faith-healing beliefs at trial. Religious beliefs and practices of Travis and Winona Rossiter would be prejudicial, reported the Albany Democrat Herald. The Rossiters, who are from Albany, are members of the Fundamentalist Church of the Firstborn, which teaches that medical treatment is sinful and instructs followers to trust in God to heal them through faith. Since 1976, at least 82 children linked to the church have died from lack of medical treatment. According to children's health care is a legal duty. <clears throat> That's an awkward name for a group, but anyway. Prosecutors plan to show 12-year-old Sybil Rossiter was deprived of life-saving medical care by her parents, who instead relied on faith-healing rites. They knew she was in great peril, said Prosecutor Keith Stein. They didn't seek out medical care, and the reason they didn't do it was their religious beliefs. This is what the case is about, and in truth, this is what happened. An autopsy showed the girl died from diabetes complications, and prosecutors said she lost so much weight in the month before she died that a teacher confronted Winona Rossiter about it. The couple's attorneys argued that evidence of their religious beliefs were irrelevant and prejudicial. My client is requesting he be tried for the actions of that day, not for his religious beliefs, said Tim Felling, Travis Rossiter's attorney. Lynn County Circuit Court Judge Daniel Murphy did not rule on the faith healing issue during a hearing Friday, but he granted a pair of defense requests about other related evidence. The judge agreed to exclude information about the 1994 death of Winona Rossiter's seven-year-old brother, who passed away after his parents refused to provide medical care for his leukemia. So that right in the family there, he had another death because of this. You know, I, I try to be respectful on this show, and I try not to insult anyone, but this is one of those stories where you just want to yell, you idiots, what are you doing? You're letting your children suffer and die because of your primitive, backwards, man-made religious beliefs. And let's say for the sake of argument that there is a God. Do you really think that he, she, or it wants you to deny your suffering children medical attention? What kind of God is that? It almost makes you wonder if on some level they know their religion is BS. If your beliefs are so great, if you really have conviction in them, why hide them? Why not proclaim them proudly during the trial? Uh, sick stuff, but that being said, uh, on that gloomy note, I guess um, I'll call this episode a wrap. As always, you can like the Facebook page, you can follow the show on Twitter, you can check out the video uploads on the Weekend Out YouTube channel, um, you can listen on Stitcher now, you can review the show or subscribe through iTunes, uh, you can subscribe to the show or, or check out the archives on Podbean. 
If you feel generous and want to uh, contribute to the show's upkeep as little as 99 cents, uh, you can use the PayPal widget on the um, official Weekendell Podbean page. And until next week, as always, thanks for listening to the Weekendell. Doubt.